Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, loading your plate with ideas and recipes and chef's tips galore that are easy to make and hard not to love. I hope you'll tune in every Sunday for delicious conversation and that you'll check out chefjamie.com for tasty recipes that call for fresh ingredients, but also some that sneak in some primo prepared stuff to make things fast and easy. If you have adventurous taste, if you're planning for a Thanksgiving feast or you've begun your holiday baking, well, then this show is sure to spice up your life. And I hope that it inspires you definitely to cook. And it's my goal every Sunday to make you hungry. By tuning in, you'll discover delicious recipes, restaurant finds, unique and authentic ingredients. You'll learn techniques of master chefs and cooking ideas for novices. And you can listen to delicious discussions about the latest trends in food and eating. And if you'd like a weekly email with recipes and links from this show, I hope you'll sign up for my newsletter once again at chefjamie.com. And you'll find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chefjamie.com. Gwen. So I'm all about fall and autumn and moving into winter inspiration. And I am a sweets lover. Are you? Well, for some years, dessert has been all about chocolate and caramel and donuts. But fruit, well, it took a back seat. Fruit desserts, though, are making a comeback, and apples are leading the charge. And I've been talking about apples as we began the fall season here. My favorite, the honey crisp, because I think it's the most versatile of the bounty of apples. It eats deliciously out of hand, and it bakes up beautifully. Well, this revival, I will say, is bringing back one of what I think is the best dessert ever to grace a beautiful table, and that is the tart tatan, the classic tart tatan, an upside down tart where fruit, typically apples, but it can be done with pears as well, and even savory style with tomatoes. The fruit itself caramelized in a pan with butter and sugar, what could be bad, and then topped with pastry dough, or for a quick shortcut, I was trained and taught to use puff pastry, and I think it's superb, and then baked beautifully. The tart is then flipped over before serving it, so all those caramelized juices trickle down to the crust. And the caramel itself is the tart's heart and soul. Like other caramelized desserts, like the creme brulee, or if you love a cannelle, a recipe I've been working on lately, in fact, the tartatan takes common ingredients and turns them into something far greater and unexpected. But it's really no more than a mere pie, where you cook the apples down to their essence, and you get layers of what is almost burnt sugar with butter between the apple and the crust to make it that sort of soft yet resilient texture and then the crunch of the pastry that pairs so beautifully. Now, I will say that the tart's basic components are relatively simple, but there are easy and wonderful ways to make the tart tatan signature to your own. You can make a simple saute pan tartatan, as I like to call it, where you'll cook the sugar and the butter until you get a gorgeous caramel. And the secret to a great caramel is always going 
just a few seconds more than you think you should. It's that fine line between the beautiful golden caramel and the almost burnt richness of what is a dark caramel, in my opinion. Then when you add the apples, their natural sugar releases and their natural water content releases and evaporates, but it lightens the caramel as the apples cook golden and caramelize. Now, I like to cut the apples into quarters rather than halves, as you might have seen many tarte de um, but I think it definitely helps the apples hold their shape as they continue to cook, but they cook tender without turning into applesauce. And then you'll top the saute pan with a rolled out piece of puff pastry, and you'll bake it in the oven till it's puffed and golden, and then it's all about the flip. Now, don't be intimidated by the flip. In many ways, it is the most stressful part of making a tart to tan. But the beauty of a tart to tan is that any, you know, sort of spills or anything that's stuck onto the pan itself makes it just that much more rustic. You can make individual tartatans in small ramekins with a single half an apple, if you like, and they're simple to turn out, or you can actually produce them in a muffin pan if you need them in bulk. Uh, but the beauty of the tartatan is its rusticity. And I think as we prepare for holiday meals, whether it be your Thanksgiving dessert buffet, or you're planning for big, beautiful sweets for the December holidays, tartatan should be on your list. So post it at chefjamie.com. You will find an apple tartatan and an apple and pear tartatan and instructions on how to make the classic. Plus, you'll see a recipe from my friend Patricia Wells, one of the best American French cooks you'll ever meet. She makes a tomato tatan. And if you've seen the beautiful heirloom tomatoes available now, well, then I hope it inspires you for sure. You'll also find lots of recipes leading up to the Thanksgiving meal if you're gathering with family and friends and have a crowd, or if you're cooking for just two or even up to 20, I have a Thanksgiving Day planner that's posted on the website right now at chefjamie.com that will guide you through the holiday. You'll also find all the side dishes you need, every dessert you can plan for, of course, and the ultimate turkey. This year, I'm dry brining, and stay tuned. Coming up next Sunday, I'm going to begin some turkey talk, in fact, and make you a holiday expert. Now, there are lots of shortcuts when it comes to great cooking. And by the way, you're hearing that from a professional chef. I think there are wonderful ways to get dinner on the table quickly. And the beauty of store-bought items being ever more natural today is that you can use them to substitute and use them to shortcut your favorite dishes. And one of my favorite shortcuts, I will say, one of the secrets to many great chefs is the convenience of frozen foods, but taking them from frozen to fabulous. So speaking of tarte tan, there are many ways to use frozen puff pastry. I think it is the king of chef-loved convenience foods. It's incredibly versatile. It can be used to make a huge array of hors d'oeuvres, even main courses, and then sweets, of course, for the tarte tan. If you know 
and love a pommier, the French puff pastry cookie. It's one ingredient and some coarse ground sugar if you have it, and you'll be a master baker in no time. Whether it's pot pies for the savory side and quiche, or even a Wellington to the sweeter side, like the bakery quality treats like a fancy cheese straw. I like my cheese straws with crumbled gorgonzola and fig jam spread on the puff pastry, then rolled and baked and stuck into a big tall glass sticking out, ready and waiting when you pour your first cocktail. By the way, my cheese straws posted at chefjamie.com for the recipe. But I've given you all the tips and tricks you need to conquer the art of using puff pastry if it tickles your fancy. And I've also given some suggestions for getting the best results from what is a very versatile dough. So if you're planning to buy a box of puff pastry for the upcoming holiday season, then you'll have all the tips you need for a quick indulgent dessert or a fancy easy appetizer because I don't think puff pastry really can be beat. And by the way, I'd love to know what buttery, fabulous recipes you love making using the frozen stuff. So email me. You can always reach me directly, jamie, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com. You'll want to stay tuned because I have lots of delicious conversation coming up with grand guests. I also have other delicious recipes posted on the website. The weekly dish is a baked brie in puff pastry. Yes, I'm on a puff pastry kick. It has cranberry chutney incorporated with the brie and the pastry so that you really get that essence of fall. Also, my truly sweet recipe of the week is an easy tres leches inspired by the Dia de los Muertos holiday this weekend. Who doesn't love tres leches? You'll find a cocktail that you'll love as well, a brandy punch cocktail, in fact. And as we change seasons, while I am a turkey lover, there is nothing better than a beautifully roasted duck breast with cranberry cabernet sauce. And it's simple and easy to make for a weeknight meal, or you can pull out all the stops for a Saturday soiree. You'll find it all at chefjamie.com. Coming up, we're sharing the virtues of Mexican cuisine in the most elaborate and comprehensive Mexican cookbook ever released. She is the legendary Mexican cook, Margarita Aronte. I love to say that. And she's coming up, Margarita, in your radio. And then you're going to hear from Food & Wine magazine editor Dana Cowan, certainly a grand dom in the food world. She's sharing her greatest kitchen mistakes, and she's overcome them, by the way. You can, too. She had the help of some big-time chefs. And you'll hear all about her new cookbook release and about what's to come for Food & Wine magazine. There's more fabulous food and scrumptious conversation right here in your radio, so stay tuned. I'll be right back. If food is your fetish, well, then I'm supplying the tools. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The first truly comprehensive Bible of authentic Mexican home cooking 
has just been released. And as we celebrate this weekend, which marks the Dia de los Muertos, the Mexican national holiday, of course, this cookbook features an unprecedented 700 recipes from across the entire country, written by a living culinary legend. Author Margarita Carrillo Aronte has dedicated 30 years to researching, teaching, and cooking Mexican food, resulting in an extraordinarily impressive collection. Margarita was born into a large family who respected their deep cultural and culinary roots, and her newly released Encyclopedia of Recipes draws influence from a full spectrum of regions. Congratulations, Margarita, on this extraordinary cookbook. I'm so glad to welcome you to the radio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be in the radio with you. Well, thank you. Uh, As we mark the celebration of Dia de los Muertos, it seems only appropriate to discuss the culinary virtues of Mexico and all of its regions. It's really a, a celebratory weekend this weekend, right? Yes, it is. In the, in the culture itself, just tell us how the, the fiesta would be, uh, would be celebrated with food and drink. Dia de los Muertos is a day of celebration, but not of party. It's a day that in which you set the altar, put the, your dead ones photographs and the food they like and some candles and, and flowers mm-hmm. and, and the things they liked, for example, my mother played the guitar, so I always put her guitar there. Oh, how nice. uh, and, you know, the things they like to drink. I have tequila, I have bourbon. She likes bourbon, <laughs> would you believe? <laughs> and and uh, I, love it. Uh, I have uh, the bourbon there, and I have the food they like. And it's, it's, uh, for us, it's a night in which they come, and enjoy with us being there, enjoy the food, and then next day they go. Okay, so we've acknowledged those that have passed, and we've definitely surrounded ourselves with those things that we remember them by. Um, But in Mexico, every other day of the year, to me, is a party. There's always wonderful food, right? And (laughs) there are um, men and women and children and generations that learn to cook from those before them. And I think that's what's beautiful about the different styles of Mexico. You speak about the different regions at the beginning of the book and some of the indigenous ingredients like tequila, of course, agave from Mexico, most famous, and then the prickly pear, the cactus. Name, if you would, some of your favorite uh, Mexican ingredients to incorporate into our daily or weekly dishes? Okay, well, definitely chiles, dry chiles. Chiles, yes. That are not spicy, but they give a lot of flavor. Corn, mm. which is very natural, very nutritious. And uh, pumpkin, pumpkin seed, pumpkin in, in different ways. Yeah, and very appropriate and, uh, now. It's pumpkin season. Yes, yes, yes because of the Halloween. And also greens, wild greens, lots of wild greens that we use, and beans, which are very, very nutritious. And when you say wild greens, what can we what can we get our hands on here in the states? I know that you make your home in Mexico City, um, but is yes. there is there a substitute maybe at the farmers markets across the country? Yes, yes definitely at the farmers market. I've been to several farmer mar- markets here, and they have lots of greens, lots. And then you you just uh, uh, chop them roughly, right. and then steam them 
squeeze them and then put them uh, with a little bit of onion, a little bit of green chile in a in a taco with a slice of cheese, mm. and then you have a vegetarian, completely vegetarian uh, dish. Yes, I love that idea. I love the simplicity of it too. When you use big bold flavors so many of which we find in Mexican culture and cuisine. You really get the beauty of the chili, the creaminess of the cheese. Do you use uh, queso fresco? Do you... Yes, queso fresco. And you can find extraordinary good cheese here in the U.S. Yes, cotija. Do you have a favorite or one you can recommend to us? I like a... a... Cotija is a strong queso. Yes. It's strong. Um, It's from the region of cotija in Michoacán. But, uh, yes, cotija, I use it for crumbling over uh, tostadas and taquitos and, you know, sopes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like, to eat a slice, I would go for queso fresco. Queso fresco it is. I love the the Mexican cheeses. I think that they add a a saltiness uh, to to finish the flavors in the mouth. So you get the the richness of the chilies and the sweetness of the corn from the tortilla. And then you sort of get a a bitiness from the cheese that cuts through all of those flavors. I happen to love Mexican cheeses. I'm a great fan of street food as well, Margarita. And I love the idea of eating with your hands and small bites. So (laughs) we're very, very keen on on that. We call them antojitos. And, and you find uh, them across um, all across Mexico? All across Mexico. They change, of course. They change as our cuisines change. Uh, they change according to the region and the time of the year. But, yes, we are very, very much uh, into antojitos. Okay, so talk to us about the, the street food of Mexican City, the three chile dried noodles. That looks like mm. a wonderful combination of textures to me and flavors. Yes, but not, that's not street food. It's a dry soup you serve at home, and it, it is delicious. You know, we crazy Mexicans have dry and liquid soup. Okay, so this is a dried soup. You start with what kind of noodle? Uh, vermicelli, the very, very thin one. Right, so thinner than angel hair. Yeah, like angel hair. Okay. Like and angel. You and, soften and, and the you, noodles. Yes, and, and then you prepare a part. Chopped onion, a little bit of garlic, some chorizo, mm. tomato, chopped tomato, and and um, uh, cook everything together and add a little bit of water or broth. And then when this is ready, you uh, uh, pass the the pasta very quickly through oil to to make it light golden. Mm. Yeah, it, light golden. It has and beautiful then color. Drain it very well. Right. Add this sauce of chorizo and tomato mm. and then cover it. And in five minutes, you have it ready. Yeah, that sounds like a good quick cook meal to me. Um, leave us with this on a very sweet note. The Seville almond cookie, um, a very traditional sweet. Yes, they're polvorones. They're very fragile and they literally break in your mouth and... And dissolve there in your mouth. They're mm. delicious. Yeah, something beautiful. We wrap beautiful. them in, um, uh, we call it uh, papel de china, yes. pap- ch- Chinese paper of all colors. We wrap them and then cut the, the sides in little, like, julienne. Yes. And put them in a basket and we give them away or have them on the table. 
Uh, and they're very popular too. A lovely gift of food indigenous to Mexico for the holiday season. I, I love that inspiration. Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to share the recipe. It's posted at chefjamie.com where you'll find a direct link to bring this delicious tour of Mexico into your kitchen. This is a, a manual, this book, Margarita, and a, a, a great accomplishment. Congratulations to you. Thank you. And make pan de muerto. Bake it. It's delicious. From pozole to pastel tres leches to the taqueria style tacos, right? Uh, yes. The author. And celebrate with a good shot of tequila, natural. Don't mix it with anything. Okay. Good quality. <laughs> you know, I like Noble Casanoble, and it's very good. Soft, it's mild, it, mm. it, it caresses your, your, your mouth inside, your tongue, yes. and it is delicious. And I, I will toast you with that. How is that? Okay, <laughs> the, wonderful. The author, Margarita Carillo Aronte, an indispensable encyclopedia of Mexican cooking. It is called Mexico, the cookbook, and you heard it here. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. It's delicious. It's divine. It's food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Welcome back. You've heard me say that a lot, in fact, on this show. But this time, when I say food and wine, I mean the magazine. Yes, I'm a fan, like you, of Food and Wine magazine and a fan of the magazine's fearless leader. Hailed as the first lady of food, Dana Cowan has been the longtime editor-in-chief. And she has some really grand friends from really high places. You know their names, the greats like Mario Batali and Tom Colicchio, Alex Garnicelli, Roy Choi, David Chang, and they recently came to her aid because Dana has a deep, dark secret. From meat to vegetables and baking to breakfast, she has literally ruined every kind of dish she attempted, or so she says. Now, don't get me wrong. Her journalism talents are to the moon. Her palate is great. And her incredible talent at creating an award-winning magazine is proven. But in the kitchen, just like you and I, she has mishaps. So she learned from the pros, gathering 65 chefs to teach her to cook 100 recipes for everyday meals. In a new book, So Enlightened, entitled Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen. And she's here to dish. Dana Cowan, James Beard, Who's Who inductee and Food and Wine Magazine's editor-in-chief is joining us once again, and I'm delighted. I'm glad to have you back, Dana. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yes. Glad to be here. I'm glad, really glad to be able to catch up with you and to congratulate you because the book is fabulous. I think it's the most wonderful approach I've seen in a long time to very inspired cooking, and I appreciate that you reached out and asked for help. I really do. Well, you know, um, for the longest time, I would have people over, I would entertain and I would cook, and then I'd serve things that were pretty tasty, but less than perfect. And at some point, this little light bulb went off in my head, and that light bulb was, it doesn't, you don't have to cook bad food. You mm. actually can get some help. I mean, I had been to cooking classes, and I've certainly, at the events we do with Food My Magazine, I've, you know, seen a ton of chef demos, but no one has been by my side and said, 
testing and this is what you're doing wrong or this is how you fix this problem that you've just come up against. So having the chefs be my personal tutors um, was my way around my weekend cooking dilemmas. And I think it's a a very big uh, editor-in-chief to admit to weakness but I think it should be noted that the dilemmas and the challenges you had in the kitchen and you've since risen above are challenges that many great cooks have. Some of them uh, quandaries like, why doesn't the caramel come out perfectly? Those are things that I believe you do have to master, those methods. And I love that you learned from the greats along the way. So uh, what was the most important thing you would consider that you learned from the chefs while you mastered these mistakes? Or what surprised you the most about working with the stars? The most surprising lesson I learned was not a technique. It wasn't about caramel, which is very tricky, I have yes. to say. <laughs> um, and getting caramel out of the pan is also tricky if there's any left in there. And now I can tell you, you know, you um, put some water in the pan and you heat the caramel and it unglobs itself. Right, but- you swirl it around and you get a clean pan. Exactly. But that's great because what I was trying to do was, you know, take a scrubby brush and <laughs> trying to get the caramel on, and that does not work. But um, so the biggest lesson I learned was really about focus. And these chefs who I know quite well, um, I don't necessarily think of them as the most focused individuals because they're doing so many things at the same time. They're running a restaurant. They're cooking for charity events. They're writing cookbooks. They're, you know, Part of the strength of being a chef is being able to multitask, but it turns out that when you get in the kitchen with these chefs, they are laser-focused. And the time that became most clear to me was when I was cooking with um, Eric Repair, the chef at Le Bernardin in New York City. He is a master at any kind of seafood, and I love his food. Yes, I do too. I um, had had a problem with cooking lobster. I had uh, boiled it to death, which seemed like an okay thing, except I put him tail first, and then he didn't like that, and he was trying to get out of the pot because his claws were going up. And this was bad. And so I told Eric that that was my problem, and Eric said to me, well, you're going to come back in your next life as a lobster because that is not how you kill lobster. And I said, okay, okay tell me how do I kill lobster. And I thought well, he'd say instead of putting a tail first, you just put a lobster head first. No. Eric um, actually does the, the humane thing, which is you cut the lobster uh, spinal cord so that it feels no pain and it's very swift um, if you do it correctly. But I had a very hard time. I didn't injure the lobster on the way. I just had a very hard time. Um, killing the lobster in one fell swoop, Hmm. though I eventually did. When I was finished killing the lobster, I said to Eric, that was really hard. And he said to me, you are stronger than the shell of a lobster. I said, well, you know, I may or may not be stronger than the shell. I might have, (laughs) you know, more strength than the lobster shell. I don't know. And then he looked at me, you know, in the eyes, and he said, your mind was everywhere but on the tip of the knife. And I thought... Hmm. That was such an important lesson because I thought that I was focused. I really was, but I was also anxious that I was going to hurt the lobster. I was anxious that it was going to slip. I was anxious that the knife was too big. 
I had all these concerns that were also going through my mind um, when we did it. There was a camera there. What was the camera going to think of you know, me trying to kill this lobster? Was I strong enough? I wasn't sure. So all of these uncertainties were crowding my mind. Instead of saying, I am going to just focus on the knife and get this lobster dispatched right now. Right. And so that is such a huge, huge life lesson. And I got to employ it again just this past week. And this will, I mean, it's still sort of shocking to me, but I am um, not, you know, I'm not a college student. I've never learned to drive. And so for decades, <laughs> I've been, um, you know, I've had boyfriends or husbands or friends who will cart me around. And I finally decided that in addition to conquering cooking, I was going to c- conquer learning to drive. Congratulations to you. Oh, it's, you know, if you, it, if you're sort of old like I am and you're just learning to drive, it's quite nerve-wracking. Oh, I could imagine as an adult, by the way. And ladies and gentlemen, Dana Cowan is learning to drive. You heard it here first. I yes, love that. Truth. Yes, it's true. So I had to take my road test, and I had just done my last set of practicing parallel parking, which you need to do to pass a um, driver's a test. A driver's test today, yes. State. And I just, well, I was hitting the curb. I was, you'd have to take a bus to the curb from where I parked. It was not pretty. And I got home, and I was so discouraged. And I just, I sat there, and all of a sudden, Eric Repair popped in my head. And mm. I just said, I am not focused. I have to focus on this. Yes. And I am going to pass that test, and I am going to parallel park. And I happen to have had a very nice and lenient um, tester. Yes, but you did pass, like, yes? But I passed! Yes, congratulations. See, look how many things you've mastered that might have been considered a mistake or otherwise, but all of them life lessons. Yes. Dana, I love all these ideas, and I don't want to lose you. Will you please stay with us? We'll take a quick break when we come back. More with Food & Wine Magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Dana Cowan. It's food and wine, and it's divine. We are celebrating the beauty of delicious dishes with Food and Wine Magazine's editor, Dana Cowan. She's here to dish. Let's name drop, as I mentioned, um, because I'd like to know what Jose Andres taught you. I would like the same lesson you learned, please, for a bruschetta española or a bruschetta in the Spanish style, right, with the, the beauty of the tomatoes. And as you mentioned... Um, Jose spoke with you and taught you the brilliance and the simplicity of the bread. So would you teach us? So Jose and Andres knows um, he is a master. He does everything from molecular cuisine, which is very um, brainy, to very earthy food. And I was asking him to do something that was so simple, which was to do a bruschetta. And my problem was I cut the baguette and I toasted it, but not quite enough. And when I tried to, you know, scrape the garlic over it, it just slid like it was skating. It didn't actually catch. And then my, you know, it was just, it wasn't such a pretty sight. But Jose was incredible. The first thing he said was, forget the baguette. You must use supermarket bread and Hmm. sliced bread. And so we took out sliced bread. Then I had sort of toasted mine on a grill because, of course, that's much more authentic. You know, if you're in the countryside, you're toasting in a grill. No, Jose said, that is not the way to do it. You want to do it in a toaster oven. Host, Jose Andres with a toaster oven. I'd love to see that. So, yes. So Amazing. So we went over and we used the toaster oven. And he showed me we also did one 
um, on a grill, and we did one on a pan. And he showed me that the one that is in the toaster oven comes out with the most even brown. Yes. And he transformed my life in 30 seconds. Texturally, I can only imagine it. Dana, we need to take a quick break, but I I really love a few more minutes. We all would um, to talk with you. Would you stay with me, please? Absolutely. Dana Cowan, editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine and author of Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, the new cookbook release, You and Me, Chef Jamie Gwen. More right after this. This is an easy way to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment. And you've heard me say it before. We do have the biggest and brightest culinary thinkers on this show. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, continuing the gastronomic conversation with Dana Cowan. I would be remiss, though, if I let you go without asking what we can expect from the magazine in the months to come as we um, come to the holiday season and close out the year. I read a wonderful quote, Dana, from you where you spoke about your food and wine magazine readers always being hungry as your motivation to create a monthly magazine and that that's where the insightful information is coming from, that that just constant craving. And I wonder if that's what motivates you every month and, and if that's what brings new trends and new flavors alive to the pages that we read, you know, so addictively. Well, I think that the fantastic thing about the um, the world of food and the food and wine readers in particular is that they, they're they always hungry, but they're hungry for a variety of things. They're hungry for what's new. They're hungry for restaurant recommendations. They're mm. hungry for um, new foods to try, new foods to cook. So the, it's a little bit of a metaphor, and it's why I love them, because mm. um, they are not interested in the only the fastest things although they like fast food they are not um you know they are interested in the things that are more complex so that they can learn and and there is that nice connection between the magazine and the idea of mastering mistakes because i have the pleasure of um living in a world where every day every month for the magazine I get to interact with these phenomenal experts who can teach the readers and luckily me Mm. um, what's new and how to sort of improve and make even more interesting and delicious food for their family and friends. Yeah, which is the best part. So what did they share for the holidays? Can you give us a sneak peek? For the December issue, uh, we're doing a big feature on families, some of the great foodie families in the world. And one of my favorite foodie families is Jacques Pepin and oh, his daughter yes. Claudine. Yes. Um, and Claudine did a beautiful souffle with cauliflower. And she said that she has this wonderful story about how her grandmother, when she was first married, didn't know how to cook, but she knew that her um, husband liked souffles. So she sort of bungled her way through a souffle, and it, um, but it came out pretty well. Mm. And her husband loved it. And so Jacques Pepin grew up having this sort of bungled souffle, and then that became Jacques' souffle. Mm. And now Claudine, the third generation, she's making her own sort of cauliflower souffle. Isn't and, that beautiful? Um, and we're going to share that with the readers because it's a special Christmas 
starter. Love it. Can't wait to make it. Can you forecast a trend for us before I let you go for 2015? We've been dishing on the radio of late about fall food trends, seeing a lot of squid ink and nudies like the gnocchi made with ricotta. Uh-huh. I think that something that we'll see is um, seafood charcuterie. Yes. So we've seen, of course, this obsession with all kinds of animal charcuterie, meat charcuterie. Um, but there's seafood charcuterie, which makes so much sense because people like lighter foods and people want to be eating fish. And charcuterie is such a really wonderful way to um, to serve it. So that's something that I'm very, very mm. excited about. Me too. And mm. um, at Food & Wine, we're predicting that 2015 will be the the year of the woman, which I'm also very excited about. Yes, and may I say I am too. That's a good thing to hear. <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, you know, there's been so much conversation about where are the women chefs and where are the women in the food industry, and I think that there's been such a there's such a loud question out there that the answer is beginning to come. Mm-hmm. And, for example, we're doing a story in Paris and uh, on trends and what are the biggest trends in Paris dining. And it turns out the biggest trend in Paris dining is extraordinary women opening great restaurants. Well, cheers to that, to female longtime editors-in-chief um, and with all humility, if I may say, to female radio hosts and culinary grads and all of the greats that make up this wonderful wide world of food. The book is called Mastering My Mistakes in the Kitchen, Learning to Cook with 65 Great Chefs and Over 100 Delicious Recipes, written by and shared by the editor-in-chief of Food & Wine magazine, Dana Cowan. We know that you're on book tour, Dana, so we're going to watch for you in cities across the country. And I know the schedule is posted at masteringmymistakes.com. Correct? Exactly. Perfect. I'd love to see all of you when I tour the world. Yes, and I hope I hope you'll come back and join us on the radio again and share your continuing culinary lessons with us. Thank you. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I love sharing my table with you, and I hope you'll let me be your guide to recipes and wine pairings, ingredients, interviews, podcasts, and exclusive conversations every Sunday right here in your radio. By the way, if you've missed a show, you can find my podcasts under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen on iTunes. And I'm always delivering delicious information direct to you at chefjamie.com with daily updates and postings. I'll leave you with this. It's what I call my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the week. And I've been planning for holiday meals and my nieces and nephews around. And so I've mastered the pancake pop. Have you? Pancakes make me think of comfort food and fall for sure. And while everyone loves a silver dollar pancake, why not put a stick in it. Well, you can make your favorite pancake batter from scratch or use a store-bought. Just add some creamy Greek yogurt to add a little bit of sweet tart flavor and a nutritious aspect as well. Then when you dollop the pancake batter onto your griddle, stick a white popsicle stick, or you could even use the brown flat style, into the pancake batter and dollop a little more batter on top so that you secure the stick. Then let those silver dollar pancake pops cook, turn them over, and then you have a pancake pop that everyone will love to hold and dip, maybe 
blueberry-infused maple syrup or even lemon curd makes a spectacular dessert eaten out of hand. I'll post the recipe and everything you need to make pancake pops on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I hope you'll tune in next Sunday when there's more scintillating, delicious conversation. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening once again, and I hope you continue to eat well.